And well, my wife's going to read the, uh, the passage in a minute. Before that, just to say, I think it's rather ironic after what David Horrell said last week about there probably won't be any cakes left because Derek's here, that this week I'm speaking on the feeding of the 5,000. I notice they've given me a subject with food in it uh, because that's what I love very much. And so we're going to read the passage uh, just now. It's from Luke in chapter 9, and it starts at verse 10. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fishes, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people, for there were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. And had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. Thank you. In the book of Acts, there's a little verse just right at the very beginning, and it gives a summary in one sentence of the whole of the book of Luke. And I'll just read it to you. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. In my earlier book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. I can't remember whether you studied this. Looked at this when uh, we started looking at Luke so long ago. I was only middle-aged then. And uh, <coughs> it's hard to remember that far back. <coughs> now, last week with Bob, for those that were here, uh, we, we looked very much at what Jesus was teaching. And this week, we're looking very much at what Jesus was doing. And so the stories in Luke are largely, not exclusively, largely what Jesus did and what he taught. Notice that order. The doing comes before the teaching. Very important. If you want to win somebody for Jesus, you do something for them first, then you teach them. All right? Uh, so that's just a, just a little thought. Now, this, this particular event, I don't like to call it a story. I do end up calling it a story sometimes. But this particular event in the life of Jesus, I'm going to go back. I don't like calling it a story because people think it's just a tale. But it's an event in Jesus' life. really happened. Now, this one, uh, well, everything that God says is important. Is that right? Yeah, you got that? But if God says it twice, it's very important. 
And if he says it three times, it's very, very, very important. And this story comes in all four Gospels. This event in Jesus' life is, is the only miracle which comes in all four Gospels. So I'll let you work out the degree of importance to that. Now, I'm not sure uh, whether they asked me to speak on it, because uh, they know I will speak on it, and uh, it's very important, so I'm going to entrust it to Derek. Or, that if later on they do any one of the other Gospels, they'll cover it and get it right. I'm not quite sure which it is. It's one or the other. But there we are. Uh, so Jesus is feeding the 5,000. Interesting the question at the end, why was there 5,000? We'll come on to that. That's my last question. But before we go on to the main story, there's that little bit about uh, how, it, how it led up to it. On their return, the apostles, that's interesting because apostles means sent ones. And they were sent and they returned. Okay, you got that? Very simple, isn't it, really? They told him all that, and he took them, took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Now, the idea was they were to have some time to be quiet. Okay? Uh, but it didn't work. It didn't work. The crowd came along and their wonderful plan of having some quiet time didn't work. How do we react? My first question is, thinking about question, not a question for you to answer, well, not to me anyway. What do you do? How do you react when things don't go the way you're planning for them to go? Now, I can assure you, my wife will assure you ten times more than I, I don't deal well with that. Okay? If things don't go according to the plan that I had, the well-worked-out plan, then I don't do well. I'm getting a little bit better at it. I've got a long way to go. Getting a little bit better. I've got a long way to go. And uh, how, do you rep how, how do you get on when things don't go to plan? You've worked out this wonderful plan. The disciples had a plan. Later on, we're going to find that out as well. But Jesus had the plan. I want you folks to get some quiet time. I want us just to be ourselves. And then this huge crowd turns up. We're not even sure that they made it to where they were going. They were going to a town and they ended up in a desert place or a deserted place. One of the Gospels and one of the translations says that Jesus uh, told them to come apart. I just imagine that. You know, you're walking down the road with a group of disciples in front of you and there's arms and legs falling off. You know, Jesus said that they were to come apart. But, you know, you have to explain things because people don't always grasp what they mean. He just meant get away from the crowd, get some quiet time, relax, enjoy. Uh, if you ring me this afternoon, you won't get an answer. Oh, it's not just because we're like relaxing. It's because the phone's not working, so you've had that one. But it's just necessary to have time to relax. And Jesus wanted that for his, his disciples. But what did he say? Oh, no, not another crowd coming. Suppose we'll have to do something with them. No, no. He says very clearly, 
Uh, they followed him and he welcomed them. Okay, do you welcome interruptions? Sometimes we don't. Uh, he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Okay? So they, he knew that he'd teach it, they all needed teaching and some of them needed healing as well. And he gave them what they needed. All right? Verse 12. Now the day began to wear away. I know how it feels. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, send the crowd away to go to the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodgings and get provisions. For we are here in a desolate place. Now that was a good idea. Holiday Inn would have thought it was wonderful. The spa corner shop would have thought it was wonderful. <coughs> How are they going to go to the local villages and find food for 5,000? plus women and children. I don't know. But it was the best they could do. And it was a sensible plan. You know, we don't want people stumbling, uh, trying to get away when it gets dark. It was late in the afternoon. For those of you who travelled or those of you who did geography at school, you'll know that when you get nearer to the equator, then the days finish quicker and start quicker than they do where we are here. And when you go further north, as far as we go, I mean, there's the other half, but we don't count them. If you go further north, um, the evenings uh, draw out longer than they do here. So down there, the evenings would come in, it'd get dark very quickly. Okay? So they wanted to be sure that they were safe. It was a good plan. But Jesus had another plan. He sometimes has another plan, doesn't he? And what was it? Very simple. You give them something to eat. Simple plan. You give them something to eat. Do you ever read things in the Bible and you think to yourself, how does God expect me to do that? You know? It tells me I should love my enemies. I should pray for those that despitefully use, you, use me and, and hate me. How does God expect me to do that? There's other things too. If you're young, it says God expects you to, to obey your parents. And if you're older, it says God expects you still, not too old, to honor your father and mother. That's not written to children, that's written to people. And there's lots of things that are hard. You think, how, God, how does God expect me to do that? And he does say strange things that are hard to get the hang of. Hard to do. You think, does God know what he's talking about? Well, I, I can assure you, if you have those doubts, God does know what he's talking about. If I've got that one, we've got a long way to go. God does know what he's talking about. And when he says something, he says, something, he says it for a very good, good reason. Normally, because that's what he wants you to do. At least, that's what he wants you to think about, at least. Usually, but that's what he wants you to do. So the first strange thing that, God, uh, that, that Jesus said 
give them something to eat. And they brought along the problems. That's fine. You know, if you think God's given you a hard time, someone once said, you ought to tell him, because he knows you're thinking it anyway. You know? If God gives you something to do, that seems impossible. I don't know what to do about this, Lord. Well, tell him, Lord, Lord, I don't know what to do about this. He loves to hear from his children, even when they're concerned, even when they're moaning sometimes. He, he just wants you to tell him. wants you to tell him. So what did they say? They, the disciples said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Yes, we're going to go out and buy food for all these people. Well, these days it wouldn't work. The Tesco uh, delivery, you can only get 115 items at the moment. Not good. You wouldn't have enough for that lot, would you? You couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. They were in an impossible situation with a God who does the impossible for you. All right? An impossible situation with a God who loves the impossible because he can show what he's, what he's doing. Well, Luke doesn't tell us the whole story, so we have to nip over a bit to John, John's Gospel, and pinch a little bit from there. Because John tells us a bit more. He says there was a boy there that had five loaves and two fish. Now, we know about the five loaves and two fish, but it's John who tells us there was a boy there. And he also, John also tells us that there were barley loaves. It's interesting that they're barley loaves. And he tells, John also tells us that the Passover was near. Now, what are those things important about? Well, barley was the food for the poor people. It's what they made their food of. But also, the barley harvest came first. You know about the ten plagues in Moses' day in Egypt? You know, remember those ten plagues? Good. Well, what was number seven? Not the locusts. I'll tell you, it was the hail. You know, not hailing taxes, you know. Um, it was the hail that destroyed the crops. And uh, it destroyed the barley, especially because the wheat hadn't come up yet, hadn't really come into ear yet. Barley comes before wheat, and uh, it happened at the time of Passover. All right? So the time of the barley harvest is just about Passover time. And Passover time, you will remember, for us very especially, isn't just when the people of Israel left, it's when Jesus died for us. It's when Jesus died and gave himself as that bread was given. I'm going to have to look at my watch, aren't I? Fortunately, I didn't look at it when I started, so I don't know how long I've been. I went to a church one day, not too far from here, um, not in Home Bay, though, and uh, I hadn't taken my watch, but it was okay. There was a clock on the wall, and after about, I looked up and thought, that clock hasn't moved. And I realized that during the time I was speaking, the clock stopped. And I hadn't got a watch. Well, they told me what time I had to finish, what time I'd, the kids had to go. Do you know, I got, it, I got it within about five minutes, which wasn't bad going without any other 
idea. So, you see, the boy was involved. I just want to say a little bit about the boy. I know it's not in this gospel, but the word about the boy. You know, I expect others had loaves and fishes they didn't share. They were the losers, not the boy who gave. They were the losers, because when they got to my age, they couldn't gather, gather their grandchildren around them and say, yeah, when I was your age, you know, because what happened to me, that boy could when he got old. There are blessings in giving. The others were quite entitled to keep what they had, but the boy gave and gained. He gave and gained. Because he didn't go hungry. He didn't go hungry. It happened at Passover. It happened at the time of barley harvest. That's the time of redemption. When you read into the Bible, look for the word barley. It comes up in Ruth. It comes up in Kings. It comes up in 2 Kings chapter 4, and particularly in 2 Kings chapter 4, just at the end of the chapter. You know, there's a funny story about a man who brings 20 loaves to feed 100 people and Elijah said, Set, give it to the people. They weren't, you know, big loaves. They'd probably be little round ones. And his servant says, we can't give 20 loaves to 100 men. He said, do it. God says, there'll be enough and some left over. Now, all later was satisfied and there was some left over. Does that seem like a familiar story? That took place in Elisha's day. Get the white one. Elisha's day. In 2 Kings chapter 4, you can look it up later. Just a perfect image of this. Only Jesus did it better. Because Jesus does everything better. You know, he has 5,000 people. And uh, he feeds them with five loaves and two fish. They had to have 20 loaves to feed a hundred. That wasn't, wasn't such a big miracle as Jesus did. Of course, Jesus always does it better. He's the best. He's the biggest. He's the greatest. He's lovely. And now and again, in this day and age in which we live, there are people who found that food has gone farther than it could normally. You know? Uh, there's one or two cases, not many, not many, one or two cases where people have served out food and there's been more food and sometimes more plates than they started with. That's lovely, isn't it? You know? So it does happen. But don't get the impression that, that it was always like this with Jesus. There was a, there's a little old hymn, a children's hymn, and it, and it starts, I am so glad that our Father in heaven Tells of the love in the book he has given. Anyone ever heard of that one, have you? One or two have heard of it, yes. There's a little line in there where it says, Wonderful things in the Bible I see. This is the dearest that Jesus loves me. Well, uh, there is another version to that. Not quite the same. Wonderful things in the Bible I see, but they're by you and but they're by me. So try not to add to what the Bible says. 
People have been doing that for a very, very long time. Do you know Eve did that? Uh, God said, you must not eat of the fruit of the tree. Full stop. Eve said to the servant, we may not eat of the fruit of the tree, nor may we touch it. They've added a bit, you know. Wonderful things in the Bible I see, put there by you and put there by me. So don't think that every meal Jesus ate was a miracle meal. Most of the meals that Jesus ate were prepared in the normal way. People grew the ingredients or bought the ingredients. They did the process of getting rid of the cooking. They cooked it and they served it. Most meals that Jesus had were like that. You see, that's why Martha was rushing around getting the meal for Jesus. Jesus didn't say, sit down, I'll do it. Oh, if you look there, it's done. He didn't. The, the food had to be served. When uh, Jesus went with Peter back to his house after being at the synagogue, they found that his mother-in-law was ill in bed with a fever. and Nobody got the food ready. So he got Peter's mother-in-law healed. And what happened next? She got the meal. Okay, she got the meal. So most food that Jesus ate and most wine that he drank was sorted in the normal way. You didn't invite Jesus around and say, well, we didn't bother to get wine because we didn't there. We just got some hand-washing water. You can just turn it into wine. Most of the wine he drank, most of the drinks he had were prepared in the normal way. There was someone else involved. John tells us. A man called Andrew. And Andrew brought the boy to Jesus who had the loaves and the fish. I expect that little boy wouldn't want to go straight up to, uh, to Jesus. He went to one of the disciples and it was Andrew. And Andrew took the boy to Jesus. You see, Andrew is mentioned in the lists of disciples, of course, but he's mentioned three times, and each time he is bringing someone to Jesus. And in this story, he's bringing the boy to Jesus. You can look for the other two for homework, you see. So Jesus took the bread that had been given, and he broke the bread. And they distributed, and they had as much as they wanted, plenty of it. You see, it's not the, first, it's not the last time that Jesus was, was to break bread. He was to do it at another Passover. You know, the, you know the story, don't you? There was bread and there was wine. At the end of the meal, he took the loaf and he broke it. And he gave to his disciples and he said, this is my body given for you. Some people think that somehow that body, we, uh, that bread that we take is physically his body. I also have a problem with trying to explain it until one day, about 30 years ago, so it's quite recent, about 30 years ago, it was down in, uh, in what is now called the Beacon Centre at 78 C Street, I was doing a family service, and before that, we'd done 
a barbecue at a well-known house in, in uh, Mickleburg Hill. We've done a barbecue, an outreach one, and we invited a lot of people back for a family service a few weeks later. Many of them came, and to make it more interesting, we've got some slides. They were slides in those days. We've got some slides of the barbecue on the screen. There's a little bit in the middle of the service. And there was a little fellow there who was sitting on his dad's lap, and he looked at the picture, and he pointed out and said, that's my dad. Was he right? Was that his dad? And the answer is yes, it was his dad. But also, he was sitting on his dad as well. So how come they were in two places at once? Well, you know what it means, don't you? He said, yes, that's my dad. And when we take it of the communion bread, we can say, yes, that's my Jesus. We understand it perfectly, don't we? That's lovely. So he did it, he did it on this occasion. He broke the bread. He did it just before he died, on the Thursday night before he died. <coughs> and he did it once more in Luke's Gospel. Someone going to tell me where it was? It, yes, in the village called Emmaus. He'd gone there just after he was risen, before the disciples all believed it. And they sat down to eat. He said, and it says, he took bread and broke it. Then he disappeared. Because they suddenly knew who it was. If you wanted to see that really well portrayed, look at it in the video called The Miracle Maker done through the eyes of a little girl who's Jairus' daughter. She pops up uh, at all sorts of funny places where she's not really there, but it's done through her eyes, and she, uh, she sees Jesus breaking the bread, and she suddenly says, Mummy, I know who it is. I know who it is. You see, children often get it before adults do. They're more open to these things. So there are three times when Jesus broke bread, all to do with himself. And my last bit, so you'll be pleased to know we get in there. Why was it 5,000? Why was it not 6,000? Actually, it was probably more than 5,000 because there would have been women and children in the gospel. It's quite clear that it was about 5,000 men, as best they could do it. And they had to sit down in groups of 50. By the way, can you imagine trying to sit, seat? It's, it works out, I'll try to work it out. It's about a quarter of the population of Hearn Bay was there in number. And uh, can you imagine those 12 disciples trying to get everybody to sit down? It's just, so you get the people to sit down as if it's easy. So when you're speaking to 30 or 50 people, get them to sit down. You speak to about 8,000, whatever it might have been. Get them to sit down. That's a hard thing. But they did it because Jesus was with them. And they didn't need high-vis jackets that said steward and big loud hailers. You know, they just did it because Jesus was with them. Something else they could But why was it 5,000? I, I always have a lovely imagination of seeing things in a different way. And I imagine the 5,000 all sit down there nice quietly to eating, eating their food. And another group arrived. They're a bit slow because they've got people with stretchers and people on crutches. And James and John, they're called Sons of Thunder, go rushing up to them. Who are you? 
said, we're the others, we're just a bit late. Can we join in? No, no, you can't join in. This is the feeding of the 5,000, not the feeding of the 6,000. It wasn't like that. I'll tell you why there was 5,000 men plus the others. Because only 5,000 turned up. Now that's simple, isn't it, really? But it's significant because there's only going to be so many in heaven. Why? Because the bread has been broken, that's Jesus. The price has been paid. The blood has been shed. But only so many people turn up. Now I look around you today, I would think probably most of you, not all of you, have turned up for Jesus and are going to be in heaven, but I would think that all of you have got other people that haven't turned up for that feast. You're praying for them. You look for opportunities to say something when it's appropriate. Are you living for Jesus before them? In front of them, there were only 5,000 because only 5,000 turned up. We're allowed to reach as many as we like. May we do so. May we be like that boy. May we be like Andrew. May we be like those disciples when we seek to do what we should for Jesus. And we see blessing, wonderful, wonderful blessing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you did in those days. It was wonderful. And Father, we thank you. You're still doing things in people's lives today. You're reaching people. And we pray, Father, that you will use us to reach those that you want to reach. Thank you that you've given your life. That's already done. Thank you, Father, and we pray that we learn to love you the more and rely on your resources. In Jesus' name, amen.